All right, we have kind of an unusual introduction to Crow Triple Seven Radio this time around because for the first time we're faced with a content problem. Uh, this will be episode 143, and one of our previous guests, Dr. James Fetzer, has been served a lawsuit from uh, Mr. Posner of Sandy Hook fame. We have a conversation to find out what this is all about, what's supposedly about to happen, and we understand fully that if we talk anything about things like Sandy Hook, that we will be censored here, or on any social media for that matter. It's happened time and time again. Jason is currently living under one strike. Episode 44 was just removed from public view on my YouTube channel. So having said that, the first hour will still be free to anyone who wants to hear it at crow777radio.com without a login. The second hour will be available as it always is to all of membership. But Jason, um, before I, Jason's here with me, by the way, uh, in this kind of unusual intro where we've had to make some decisions here. Um, and I want to make it perfectly clear. Um, this is all free content. You don't need a login or anything. But I would also like to add that Jason is getting to a point with the editing of the movie Shoot the Moon that he has opened up a GoFundMe page to try to offset some of the costs. And he's about to attempt to get this movie run in places where typically movies like this don't get run. But anyhow, um, I'm going to intro in, and again, everyone head over to crow777radio.com, and there will be the first hour that normally runs on YouTube, but since we will be censored if we have a conversation, no matter how polite we try to do it, uh, with anything regarding any of the violent events reported in the media, I will say the following. Let's jump in with Jason Lindgren and Dr. Fetzer and talk. A lawsuit, which, by the way, the links will be up. You'll be able to see it. The lawsuit that's been filed by the supposed, I don't even know if it's a real person, Mr. Posner against Dr. Fetzer. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 143. I have Jason Lingren with me, and I got an email from Dr. James Fetzer this morning, uh, who has been served with a lawsuit. Uh, and you may ask, by whom? Well, by the fraud charade that is Posner from Sandy Hook fame. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. This is going to be very interesting. It has the potential to be a bit of a landmark thing. It'll be very interesting to see where this goes. Do you have anything for the introduction before we jump right in? We have limited time with Mr. Fetzer. I do not. Let's get right into this. All right. Welcome, James. Oh, yeah. Crow and Jason, I'm delighted to be with you guys. And yes, yes, the lawsuit was submitted on the 27th of November in Dane County in Wisconsin, where I reside. I was served on the 29th of November. I have 45 days to respond. I submitted an answer rather than a motion to dismiss because I do not want the case to dismiss. I want to have a formal legal resolution, and you can find my answer. You can find my answer online at jamesfetzer.org. So basically, if I'm not mistaken, and I will state for the record, we're recording this on January 10th, 2019. Uh, the 45-day limit would be tomorrow on the 11th. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And I, I submitted it a week early uh, and, uh, you know, rather comprehensive. It, it, I can it display all the elements of the case as, as you and Jason would like. Well, I'll tell you what, you sent me a link this morning, and I will be providing this to everyone at crow777radio.com. As I've stated, this is critical, what's going on here. Um, this is all charades, and they are 
pressing a lawsuit for defamation against you. And my first question is, does Posner even exist as a human being? Well, actually, we think that uh, Lenny is just as much a fiction as Noah. He, one of the fake Sandy Hook parents, is no doubt the most famous of them all because his photograph and that of Noah have appeared all over the world. You may recall that Wayne Carver, the medical examiner, when he gave his uh, press conference on the 14th of December 2012, explained the parents were not allowed to see the bodies, but identified the children on the basis of photographs. Uh, research we have done since the publication of Nobody Died at Sandy Hook in 2015, which had 13 contributors, including six current or retired PhD professors, which demonstrated that the school had been closed by 2008 because it was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards, that there were no students there, that it was a two-day FEMA exercise uh, where we even have a manual, which I included in a, as Appendix uh, A in the book, which Amazon banned after being up for less than a month but having sold nearly 500 copies. But we published a second edition in 2016. Since all of that has occurred, we've been able to establish that uh, uh, Noah Posner was a fiction that only existed in the form of photographs, that he was made out up out of photographs of the person presented as his older stepbrother, Michael Babner, when he was a child. And that, based on new research, uh, some of which appears in the Sandy Hook Memorandum series prepared for the President of the United States under the editorship of Robert David Steele, which you can download for yourself for free, just as you can download the book itself for free in the first edition, because when it was banned, I immediately released it to the public as a PDF, and where a friend of mine who tracks these things has calculated it's been downloaded as many as 10 million times, appears to be the case that, unsurprisingly, since we have so many photographs of Lenny Posner with Noah, if Noah turns out to be Michael Babner, that, that uh, Lenny himself would turn out to be Michael Babner's father, Reuben Babner. So that's one of the issues that I raise in my, in my answer to this complaint. Man, my mind is spinning with with what this can potentially mean, but I'll I'll dial the clock back. I remember early on when people were ripping apart the fraud that is Sandy Hoax, um, one of the people I followed used an online tool that shows internet bandwidth to any given place in the world and demonstrated outright that the school was not open and that it hadn't had any internet bandwidth for years before the supposed event. Yeah, that's, that's one of multiple proofs, but they're a vast number. I mean, we have aerial photographs, for example, of the parking lot from the day of the event. And what's telling about it is, number one, there's no uh, none of the familiar white and blue parking space or white and blue signage for handicapped parking. That shows already that the school at that point in time was not in compliance with state or federal laws for Americans with Disability Acts which requires there be handicapped parking, but requires that signage, requires all entrances and exits that be wheelchair accessible, as well as the bathrooms. None of that was the case, which means it not being in compliance, it could not have been legally operating as a public school in Connecticut. 
on, on 14 December 2012. That's one of a multitude of proofs. We have a host of photographs. One nice example is an exit at the side, which is a wooden stairway that no wheelchair could navigate, which has a steel rod extending up from the banister, which could pop the eye out of a little kid. This was a kindergarten through fourth grade school. No principal would have allowed a school to deteriorate to the condition we documented inside and out from the scene that day. Well, there, there, I mean, there's so much we can get into here. And then, of course, they had to demolish that school to get rid of the evidence. But I've got to ask you, Dr. Fetzer, this seems to a logical mind like the machine is lining up on you for someone to bring a lawsuit about what everybody, every thinking human being in this world knows was a drill put on by FEMA, demonstrated over and over and over. Are you afraid? Are you afraid that the eyes of the black-eyed beast of our era are lining up on you? No, no. Listen, listen, listen. If you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen, right? I got in just to bring the <laughs> people. I've done collaborative research on JFK, where I now have four books, 9-11, where I founded Scholars for 9-11 Truth and have two books. Sandy Hook, The Boston Bob, Charlottesville, Parkland, just published a book on Parkland. You can find our conspiracy catalog at moonrockbooks.com, where we now have a dozen books. We began with one. In fact, it was after uh, Amazon banned Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, that Mike Palachuk, who was a series editor, whereas I edit all the books, uh, decided we needed our own publishing company and founded Moonrock Books. So we now have a dozen contributions there. I believe the American deserve to know their own history, and we're doing our best to bring it to them. Jim, I think this is foolish of them to do this. Are you going to bring Wolfgang Halbeg in as a witness to basically get on the public record of court that this whole thing's a fraud and absolutely blow this open? Because I don't think Alex Jones is going to do anything. I think Alex Jones is a clown. Yeah, well, I think we, we'd long been speculating, and Wolfgang had even said, why aren't they suing me? Because I have all the evidence. That's right. Certainly in the court, Wolfgang would make an excellent witness on multiple counts, but then I have a dozen others who would be good as well. In other words, believe me, I have all the bases covered on this, and that the lawsuit was very narrowly drawn. They think they can keep out all of the evidence that this was an elaborate fraud by having crafted it to revolve around one central issue, namely whether the death certificate that Lenny gave to Kelly Watt after they'd had 100 hours of conversation during which she told him she didn't believe him, she thought he was lying, thought he didn't have a kid, didn't have anyone who died at Sandy Hook, asked for proof, he sent her undoubtedly, inadvisedly, a copy of a death certificate that based upon our research at the time, and this is already documented in the first edition, the original edition of Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, uh, that was a fabrication. You can find it in Chapter 11, co-authored by me and Kelly. I enumerate many of the proofs that it was a fabrication in my answer for the lawsuit, which you can find on my blog, in the article that the Sandy Hook of Bosner versus Fetzer lawsuit for dummies, where I boil it down into very simple and easily understood language, as well as presenting the 
legally crafted answer, which of course has to conform to the appropriate standards of legalese, but makes it a bit more difficult to follow, where uh, the fact is that given we have, their, their, their argument in a nutshell is the following. Since the state of Connecticut has certified this death certificate, it has to be authentic, and therefore all my allegations that it was fake or fabricated or a forgery are wrong and defame uh, Lenny Posner, for which they have followed the suit. My argument in response is that since we have already demonstrated that the the death certificate that was given to Lenny Posner, that Lenny Posner gave to Kelly Watt, is a fabrication, fake, or a fraud, uh, if indeed they are the same in every material respect as the uh, complaint alleges, then the state of Connecticut has certified as valid a fake fabricated uh, phony death certificate, and not only which is a, a violation of the law, and not only do I give direct evidence of the proof of fabrication, uh, it's in fact not the same in every material respect. For example, the state certified uh, death certificate has uh, a file number, which the copy given to Kelly Watt does not have. The state certified death certificate has a state seal, which a copy given to Kelly Watt does not have. And there are the host of these typographical uses of different fonts, the spacing and so forth that are indicative of fakery and fraud. Uh, 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 but there's all the indirect evidence that I bring in insofar as if, in fact, it was a FEMA drill where nobody died, it follows that any death certificate related to Sandy Hook has to be a fake, a fabrication, or a fraud. So with the combination of the direct and indirect evidence, I'm, I'm arguing all of this evidence demonstrates this is completely fraudulent, where the state of Connecticut is now, in my opinion, committing itself to having validated a fabricated death certificate. Well, I, I mean, at the very least, they, they put on the whole charade. If this was, in fact, a drill, a state would know that the drill was going on. But I've got to ask, clear this up for maybe people who haven't followed the Sandy Hoax saga. Uh, has Mr. Posner been a public face at all? Has he been out in the world and interviewed? What do we know about Mr. Posner, the maybe living human, maybe actor? Has he been out in front of cameras or has he been in the shadows? Well, this is uh, the initial absurdity of the lawsuit because it begins by declaring that he's not a public figure, but a private individual. This is extremely important from the point of view of the law, because there's a historic case in New York Times versus Sullivan that determined that if an individual is a public figure, that in order to sustain a claim of defamation, you have to prove that the offending party knew what they were asserting was false, but nevertheless went ahead and asserted it anyway in order to defame the individual who is the party, which is a virtually impossible standard for them to satisfy. So they, of necessity, had to adopt the fiction on which I am calling them out that Leonard Posner is a uh, private citizen rather than a public figure. Let me just give you, a, let, let me tell you how absurd it is internal to the case Chapter 11, which I co-authored with Kelly Watt, both in the first edition and the second, it's an identical chapter 11, points out that we are responding to an article that was published in the Hartford Courant by none other than Lenny Posner. So if the, this guy, you know, is obviously a public figure, 
because the case in which we're allegedly uh, defaming him was published, uh, a response to an article published in the Hartford Quran. If you go online and do a search on Lenny Posner, you're going to find hundreds, thousands of references to Lenny Posner. This case has been so widely cited worldwide, and he is, without any question, the exemplar, uh, the, the premier figure uh, among all the Sandy Hook parents with a photograph of Noah, which who is highly photogenic, by the way, who even appeared in, in, in commercial advertising in Canada, for example, uh, it, it has been plastered all over the world. So the fact that they begin by making the claim that he's a private citizen and not a public figure makes the whole lawsuit absurd on its face. I was just looking up, and yeah, he's all over the place. Now, I personally think that this was the most foolish thing they could possibly do, Jim, because you are not a clown like Alex Jones. They are taking a bulldog who is absolutely going to tear them to shreds with the amount of evidence that you have. Do you really think that this situation is going to basically make the quote-unquote conspiracy theory public domain now demonstrated to be exactly what it is? It's a false flag operation. I think it has that potential. Yeah, I think they've gone a bridge too far as the saying has it. They, they picked the wrong guy. Yeah. I mean, find out loud. Here I am, a former Marine Corps officer. I'm a university professor of 35 years, teaching mostly courses in logic, critical thinking, and scientific reasoning. I have a record of accomplishment. I published 24 academic books. Now I've published over a dozen more what you might call conspiracy research. I have the title Distinguished McKnight University Professor Emeritus now after me. I was in the first, the group of the first 10 when the University of Minnesota introduced this new rank in 1996 for persons who, as uh, full professors, had enhanced the reputation of the University of Minnesota by their contributions while they were a member of the faculty. I mean, they picked the wrong guy precisely, as you say. Anyone could go to my my academic website, and you can easily find it by a search, curriculum vitae, comma, uh, James H. Fetzer, or academic website, Jim Fetzer, whatever, you're going to turn it up. I agree with you that this was a, a colossal mistake on their part, but of course I welcome it because I have wanted to find an access route to get this matter into a court of law where it could be properly resolved. Well, hopefully there's still courts of law in this country uh, that do what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I have my thoughts about that, but let me ask. We've seen at least a couple other lawsuits um, that have to do with Sandy Hook get filed. But if I'm not mistaken, in each case, the judge has thrown it right out. Never, it never saw the light of day. Are you aware of how many times this has gone on? And by the way, was Posner a part of these lawsuits that get chucked out by the judge? Well, what happened, he, he brought a comparable lawsuit against Wolfgang Halbig in Florida for defamation. And interestingly, uh, I mean, they were both residents of Florida. Wolfgang attended several of the pretrial meetings with the judge, but Lenny never showed up. In fact, the attorney who was representing them, as Wolfgang characterizes him, was very incompetent. When the judge, in exasperation, directed that Lenny Posner had to sit for a video deposition at the last minute, Lenny withdrew the suit rather than sit for a video deposition. Well, I personally am convinced that's because 
the video deposition would have exposed his countenance. This is not the only time he's avoided doing that, as I shall add momentarily, and that others might see his visage say, hey, I know that guy, that's Reuben Wagner, and blow his cover as Lenny Posner, mind you. He's perpetrating a fraud on the court by using a false identity and bringing these claims, just as he and the other Sandy Hook parents perpetrated theft by deception by posing as having lost children at Sandy Hook, where the sympathetic but gullible Americans contributed between 27 and $130 million in donations, which divided by the 26 families is more than a million bucks apiece for feigning being, uh, being uh, a parent of a child who died at Sandy Hook. Another example would be when the Showtime program Dark Net sought to do uh, uh, an episode about Sandy Hook. They invited me and Lenny to participate. They came to my home and, and filmed me for four hours. When I saw the program, my face is better delineated visually than in any other program, and I've been on quite a few I've ever seen. Lenny, however, excused himself from being shown facially, claiming he didn't want his image to be put on the Internet for harassment and ridicule, which, of course, is a completely absurd allegation. I mean, look how often his face is supposed to be out there as the father of Noah Posner. But I'm convinced for the very same reason. He didn't want someone to look at that program and say, hey, I know that guy. That's Ruben Babner. You know, it's funny that you bring up the amount of money because that, again, was one of the earliest proofs that came out that that Sandy Hook was a put up, that it was not what they were telling people. Nobody did get hurt. This was all a drill. And what we saw was right away, websites went up asking for donations. And since it was kind of, I guess, the early days of these major national events that they were going to try to fool America with, uh, the server stamps were dated a day or two before the actual Sandy Hoax event. It goes on and on and on, but millions of dollars. As I think about this, is this just a few people being bold as can be and risking it all, or does this conspiracy go further? Well, it's very it's very broad. It's quite vast. I can give you all kinds of evidence. The Obama administration nullified the Smith-Munt Act 1948, which precluded the use of the same techniques of disinformation and propaganda within the United States that were being used without in the Smith Modernization, actually more accurately, Nullification Act of 2012 in time for Sandy Hook. We know they were behind it. Uh, Eric Holder, the Attorney General, had in 1995 told a national Democratic Women's Convention. It, he thought the American people had to be brainwashed to have their attitude toward guns changed. He, Eric Holder, traveled to Connecticut and met with a governor. As Reuters reported it on the 27th of November, uh, to discuss the Obama gun control agenda. On the 14th, the day of the shooting, the governor gave a press conference during which he explained that he and the lieutenant governor had been spoken to that something like this might happen, leading me to pursue the question, spoken to by whom, and what could he possibly mean by something like this, that he had either to have been informed that 
that somewhat demented soul might come into a Connecticut public school and shoot it up, in which case as governor, he obviously had the obligation to notify the school systems of that warning and take measures to ensure it did not occur, which he did not do. Or alternatively, he'd been informed they were going to take an abandoned school, conduct a drill, present it as a real event in order to promote gun control, which is precisely what happened. So I, I've got to ask this question. When the lawsuit was filed, did that give, I guess they'd call the actor in chief, Mr. Posner, um, the plaintiff in this case, uh, did that allow them to steer it towards a certain court or not? Well, they had a choice of where they filed. Yes, they could have filed uh, in Connecticut, for example, but they chose to file in Dane County. My best guess is they thought it would be embarrassing to me. Uh, 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 on the other hand, uh, I'm rather well known. I've appeared on a local talk show hosted by Mitch Hank, uh, who referred to me as a conspiracy guy virtually from the time I moved to Madison back in 2000. And six. So I've actually appeared on Mitch Hank's show as a conspiracy guy. Oh, I'm going to guess 50 times probably. I also had a show in New York City with Gary Null on his network, PRN.FM, uh, where I was entitled The Conspiracy Guy. And I did 56 of these one hour programs with Gary Null out of New York City until in addressing the Parkland shenanigans. I explained how it had been a complete fabrication, how the students had been let go at one o'clock because it was a holiday, uh, how they kept behind about three dozen students, how the, uh, they were using simunition, which is simulated ammunition made out of beeswax and laundry detergent. An officer in full SWAT gear was firing a weapon that the teacher, Stacy LaPel, did not recognize when she confronted him in the hallway. This is why we have the medical miracles of uh, 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 several of the, the girls claiming to have been shot by an AR-15 in the torso, in the chest, in the leg, walking around days later with only band-aids, for example, on their leg wounds, which is completely preposterous, had they actually been shot with AR-15 bullets which are small caliber but high velocity and do enormous damage it's because they were only hit by simulation, which isn't strong enough to puncture the skin. It'll create a welt. So they were perhaps sincerely pretending to have been shot by an AR-15, but clearly were not. Uh, the reason he kept the deputies out, by the way, is because they weren't snapped in on the drill and thinking it was real might have shot up some of the players. One of the the greatest tells we have regarding Parkland, about which I have just published a book at moonrockbooks.com. I have it out before the midterm because the whole thing was constructed to affect the midterm. We had this march for our lives that was held in Washington, D.C. on the 24th of March, where in, uh, for a big event that involves closing roadways, you have to begin the permit process six months in advance. So back in September and October, they were initiating the permit process for the March for Our Lives, which they would claim was motivated by the shooting at Parkland on the 14th of April. Six weeks later, they have hundreds of T-shirts, coffee mugs, major acts, all this kind of thing. Six weeks isn't enough time to organize a bake sale at a local church. 
So what we were subjected to was an enormous fraud. The mastermind behind it appeared to have been Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who'd been the head of the DNC when they were sabotaging Bernie Sanders' campaign, who was worried that because the Imran Awad trial was forthcoming, where she allowed these Pakistani IT guys who worked for her to spy on Congress under cover of her authority, might cost the Democrats as many as 11 seats in Florida alone. So she collaborated with a woman by the name of Dina Katz, who's a Hollywood producer, director of Dancing with the Stars, who's organized many women's marches in order to put all of this together, this fantastic fraudulent scenario, where among the most powerful proofs is a 52-second video from Live Leaks inside a classroom in Parkland, where you see there's some girl students who are doing their best to cry as though they were in fear, but... In spite of that, they're worried about their bottled water and others on her iPod. You've got a kid pulling his putts. You look and there's what's supposed to be a body on the floor, but it's actually a training dummy with no arms and no legs lying in a pool of fake blood. And while there are persons in police uniforms rushing in and out, and you might think, wow, the Parkland police were really Johnny on the spot. They're actors because Parkland gave up its police force in 2004 to save money. So, you know, you're demonstrating what a lot of researchers already know, that this goes up to the highest reaches, into the political parties, into the supposed leadership of our country. So, I mean, this kind of begs the question, how do you think it's even possible to get into a courtroom anywhere in this country where the judge is not stacked? We've already seen a couple lawsuits where people were getting all excited. Oh, Sandy Hook's going to go to court. And what happened? The judge dismisses it out of hand. Are you concerned at all that the court you might be headed into is stacked in some way? Well, the report I have is that this the judge to whom this case has been assigned is an excellent judge, a man of principle, uh, which is all I could ask for. I doubt very much it will ever make it actually into the courtroom because just as Lenny withdrew the suit against Wolfgang when he was ordered to do a video deposition, I now have the right of discovery. And I'm going to move very aggressively with some of the key players in this case to subject them to discovery. And I expect they are going to be going wild to get this lawsuit withdrawn or dismissed. So I think I have cards to play here that are going to make a real difference. By the way, what I described about Parkland meant that the March for Our Lives was actually no more than an elaborate democratic voter registration drive that received billions in free publicity. Jim, I think a lot of these events are completely compartmentalized, just like the moon landing, so that most people who are involved in a situation don't know the reality of what's going on, just whatever group behind it is pushing to make things happen. I think Sandy Hook is probably right along with that. What is it that they're actually going after you for? Is it a large sum of money to intimidate you? Oh, no. This is, look, my interpretation of the suit is it's, a, it's a, a political stunt. It's a public relations event. Uh, I have hundreds of times uh, made the observation that Lenny gave Kelly uh, a fake death certificate. And, and obviously, if he'd actually lost a son at Sandy Hook, he would have had a real one. And I believe the reason they drew the case so narrowly was in an effort to play their strongest hand, given that the state has certified this death certificate. I think they basically 
wanted the judge to simply take judicial notice and therefore, uh, you know, rule in their favor and against me. But no, they're, they're not after money. I mean, I don't particularly have money. But what I have is standing as a Sandy Hook investigator who's been extremely aggressive and who has a mountain of evidence. So they're trying to find a subtle, a sly way to undermine my credibility, just to give you an illustration of how this works in the public domain. After the lawsuit was filed, I was contacted by an Associated Press reporter for the Hartford Quran. He called me to interview me, and after we'd spoken only a minute, the call dropped. Well, I hadn't cut it off, so I immediately called him back. And he said, oh, yeah, he thought I had cut off the call, which no doubt he would have written about had I allowed it to stand and not called him back. I went on to explain to him why this lawsuit was a fabrication, how I had edited the book with 13 contributors, including six current or retired PhD professors, how we'd established that the school had been closed by 2008, that there were no students there, that it was a FEMA exercise presented as mass murder to promote gun control, how we even had the manual for the, for the drill, which I had included as Appendix A in the book, which anyone could download for free, as a PDF, uh, and, and he interrupted me and said something about, so all these parents are fake, you know, that he can go over there and they're still residing in Sandy Hook. And I, I could tell, well, I, I said to the effect, well, I hope you haven't been taken in and played by this, but sensing his stance and attitude, I added, we're going to mount a vigorous defense against this lawsuit. So what did he do? He published an article that went all over the world New York Times, a Wisconsin State Journal, everywhere you could name, that said that Mike Palachek and I authored the book, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, authored the book. He never even mentioned the fact there were 13 contributors, including six current or retired PhD professors, because already that makes a whole claim that, that we were somehow uh, on the wrong track or off our net, highly implausible. What, what is the probability that six professors who have been investigating this case extensively, where one of the contributors, Dr. Eowyn, had already published 80 articles about Sandy Hook before I edited the book, or I myself had already published 30 articles about Sandy Hook before I edited the book, would be mistaken about the basic facts. It's not that it's impossible, it's that it's incredibly improbable. And as soon as you recognize that my research, indeed, on all of these subjects, JFK, 9-11, Sandy Hook, Boston bombing, Charlottesville, Las Vegas, Parkland, and so forth, is collaborative, the whole idea of focusing on me exclusively loses its punch, because I'm synthesizing, integrating, and articulating the strongest arguments that emerge from our collaborative research and presenting them in a forceful fashion to the public, which is why they'd like to discredit me if they possibly could. And I submit that this lawsuit, which is absolutely indefensible on its face, which is constructed of several uh, false allegations being made by the plaintiff against me, such as that Lenny Posner is a private uh, rather than a public figure, has no merit but serves a propaganda purpose. 
So I actually published an article entitled Fake News About False Flag, AP Reporter Caught Faking the Story. Because I had recorded our interview, I published a transcript of it. You can read the whole thing on my on my blog at jamesfetzer.org. You know, there's a couple things about Sandy Hook. And in my mind, this is one of the big change points for people who live in this country. So many of them fast asleep, unable to detect such obvious fraud. One of them was, it was the first time I had ever seen a supposed state trooper might even been a chief, I've forgotten, come on television and make the threat on television that anyone who questioned this uh, would be held in some legal way. But then on top of that, there was the whole press interview with the supposed autopsy guy, Carver, even his name poking you in the eye, Carver, the guy supposedly carving up the kids. If that interview doesn't tell any mind out there that's not reasonably awake what a fraud this is, I'm not sure what to do. And and I'm bringing this up because even after all this time, there are so many damn people that have just swallowed this nonsense. And it is so obviously nonsense. Let me give you three or four significant responses to that. First of all, James Tracy, who was at the time a tenured associate professor of mass communications, whose areas of specialization even include conspiracy in the media at Florida Atlantic, published the first serious scholarly article about the interview with Wayne Carver, where he dissected how many anomalies were present there. He He claimed to have done the autopsies in an astonishingly brief period of time, didn't know how many boys, how many were girls, didn't actually know how often they'd been shot, though he claimed each of them had shot between three and 11 times apiece. Frankly, this is simply absurd. As a former Marine Corps officer who used to supervise recruit training, including marksmanship, I am one among many experts on marksmanship would tell you that the kill-to-target ratio attributed to Adam Lanza, who, by the way, himself appears to be as fictional as Noah Bosner, is phenomenal. No, No real event would have led to this uh, mass shooting with this many kills in this instance. And of course, we know all sorts of anomalies occurred. There was no surge of EMTs into the building, no string of ambulances to rush their little bodies off to hospitals where they could be determined to be dead or alive. No medevac helicopter was called. Triage tarps was put out, but no bodies were ever placed on the tarps. They so congested Dickinson Drive that had an emergency vehicle sought to enter, they couldn't have made it through the mass of vehicles that were congesting the area. Uh, Tracy was the subject of a lawsuit. Well, actually, what happened was Tracy's university was subjected to pressure by the Jewish community in South Florida, including the Jewish Journal Forward, uh, the Sun Sentinel, and other publications, which ran stories by Lenny Posner attacking him claiming that he had been harassing them. Tracy was simply seeking to verify with Lenny whether he actually had a bona fide copyright claim to the image of of Noah Posner, which he'd been distributed worldwide. And Lenny converted it as though James were seeking to harass him when actually he was seeking to protect the American people from an elaborate scam. Because as I've already observed, these fake families got pocketed over a million dollars apiece for pretending to have lost a child at Sandy Hook. 
And Tracy was, in fact, taken out of his tenured position, removed by the university on the completely uh, flimsy fabricated ground that he failed to sign a form about his outside activities. Now, I was in higher education for 35 years. No one is dismissed for failing to sign a form in a timely fashion. The whole suit was simply absurd. But the university, in my opinion, conspired against him to deprive him of the position to which he was fully entitled. And then when he attempted to regain his position, he encountered the kind of a stack court arrangement that you have been concerned that I might encounter here in Dane County, Wisconsin, but because you know the, the judge was very clearly opposed to Tracy, who had a perfectly legitimate case. He had a competent lawyer, Louis Leo IV, who argued the case, who is now has the case under appeal. But that's, that's one case about Wayne Carver. Here is another, which is that we haven't been able to obtain any of the death certificates anywhere. We've made all the efforts we can. The only one we've been able to get access to is the one that Lenny gave to Kelly, which is now the subject of this lawsuit. They claim they gave them to the New York Post. We reached out to the Post, but the Post refused to confirm that they had those. In addition now, when you talk about Lieutenant Paul Vance, this is an extremely interesting aspect of the case. Yes, he came on television at the end of that press conference to say that anyone who offered an opinion at variance with the official report of what happened at Sandy Hook would be subject to prosecution. Uh, he eventually, when Wolfgang Halbig, who frankly believed it was real, he's a nationally recognized school safety expert, sought to find out what happened at Sandy Hook for the perfectly appropriate reason of, of learning what happened so he could advise other school systems how they could make sure it did not happen to them, found four, uh, two homicide detectives from the local precinct on his porch in a gated community in Florida, explaining that they were there on behalf of the Connecticut State Police and that if he continued to raise questions about Sandy Hook, he would be prosecuted. Well, I believe we have found the deeper reason for the state police concern in the book. You'll find in Chapter 7, we have 50 photographs of them furnishing an empty home to serve as the residence of Adam Lanza. Uh, the most interesting of all of these uh, is a photograph of the Nancy Lanza bedroom where Adam is alleged to have shot his mother with a 22 caliber rifle. Uh, uh, when we look at this photograph of the room, you can see, yes, there's some red stuff on the bed, but it doesn't look like blood. I believe it might be raspberry jam. At the foot of the bed is a cedar chest that has a group of forms on it that we find in other photographs from inside the house where they appear to be keeping records about how they arranged the room. And then Kelly Watt, who happens to have her own commercial and home cleaning service with her keen eye spotted beneath the leg of the bed, a blue moving pad that in their haste they had forgotten to remove. It's obvious that this is an empty home because there's nothing on the walls. No photographs, no mementos, no pictures, no nothing. That means, of course, in my judgment, the realtor didn't want the walls to be defaced because she may have to do touch-ups, still wanted to sell the house. Of course, eventually, in the course of events, they would destroy the home just as they destroyed the school, where, interestingly, those who were brought in to participate in the demolition were required to sign lifetime gag orders 
that they would never acknowledge what they had seen or had not seen inside the school, which I'm convinced would have included no blood on the floors, no pockmarks on the walls, and blown the whole cover story. Meanwhile, of course, the Newtown School Board received a grant of $50 million to put up a new school to replace the old one, which, as I've explained, they'd actually abandoned by 2008. Well, I did a research, and it turns out the average cost for an elementary kindergarten through fourth grade school across the country is only $7 million. So Newtown was given seven times $7 million to erect a new school, as I asked at the time. What is this to be, the Taj Mahal of elementary schools? And in fact, it's rather grotesque. It has all kinds of artsy stuff there that is totally unnecessary in their effort to justify the expenditure. But frankly, the democratics of, of Newtown are such they can't actually support having this additional school. The whole thing is an elaborate scam. Now, in addition, in Chapter 8, we have 50 more photographs of them refurbishing the school to serve as the state. We have the, the moving vans coming present. We have a name tag on Classroom 10, which still has the, the moving van company. Uh, 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 and a whole host of photographs that are extremely telling, especially the following. As I recall, it's exhibit number 24. And if you download the book for free, you have all these exhibits in color in the PDF, whereas the first edition of the book was only published in black and white. Today, all of our books are in black and white and in color, with uh, uh, only one exception, which had so few photographs, there was no point in publishing it in color. But what we find there in particular is a SWAT vehicle, or what we took to be a SWAT vehicle. I've been told it was actually a crime scene vehicle. It's very massive on the scene before the event has taken place. And you can establish it's before the event has taken place because there's a string of four windows in classroom 10. You can see just above the roof of the vehicle that are undamaged. After the event, they'd be shot out. In particular, the second pane would be completely destroyed. So we include, among the exhibits, the windows before and after. We even have a photograph of the perps looking at the window frame, deciding what they're going to do. They drilled holes, actually, and then put pink rods into the holes to illustrate what was an imaginary shooting scenario, because all the pink rods are exactly parallel to one another, 90-degree angle to the window pane, another preposterous feat that would never occur in a real shooting event. And when you study the photograph, if you come down the flag, which is at full mass, you find a familiar figure with his arms folded, leaning against the wall, none other than Wayne Carver, awaiting the arrival of his portable mortuary tent, who is crime scene tape up for a crime that is yet to be committed. When we published the first edition, we believe this photograph was taken the morning of the 14th. Based upon shadow analysis, it now appears to have been taken the evening of the 13th. So they were setting up in advance for the completely contrived scenario they would present the following day of a mass murder at Sandy Hook. All of this is in the book. Now, it's very interesting that when the book was banned, Prison Planet, Alex Jones' publication, put an article about the banning of the book, and they included an even better version of this same photograph with a SWAT vehicle or crime scene vehicle present. It was up for, as I recall, like 38 minutes. It had 138 comments before they took it down, 
And I'm convinced they took it down because it gave an image credit directly to the Connecticut State Police. These images all came from the Connecticut State files. They were running the, the whole operation behind the scene and photographing each element thereof. So, James, there were a lot of people doing work early on to try to show that the town of Newtown was actually created knowing that this was going to happen at some later time. I want to get your impressions of these ideas. And to put it on the record, uh, it was founded in 1705. It was later incorporated. And for my regular listeners, get ready to count the ways. 1711 was the incorporation date. But what's your feeling about that? Do you feel like the entire Newtown area was constructed just for this long game event? Absolutely not. I've never labored under that impression. There's a much more interesting point, which has far more plausibility, that these were synthetic families that were brought into Newtown and given even free homes in the vicinity. There are records that suggest that a whole lot of those who would pose as parents of Sandy Hook victims came in in 2009, and then on Christmas Eve, there were a whole lot of transactions showing they took their ownership of the homes for zero dollars that they were giving them for free. Now, I find all that fascinating and tantalizing, but I do not regard it as, as weighty or powerful as the evidence I've been describing to you here and now. There's just a mountain of proof that this whole thing was a sham without even having to resort to those arguments. But it would not surprise me, and I find it very plausible, that the families were brought in to Newtown in advance to set up this event, which was a, clearly an Obama operation. Let me give you another illustration. Andy Rooney's daughter has a program called Greater Boston in the area, and uh, about a month before Sandy Hook, she featured the mayor of Boston, who was boasting about his relationship with Joe Biden, the vice president and how Joe Biden had assured him that gun control would be a done deal by January of 2013. Now, the host was just dumbfounded, and she said, well, what could possibly happen to cause legislation to pass that fast? Well, the mayor was unwilling to act, but in fact, a month and two days later, on January 16, 2013, Barack Obama signed 23 executive orders to constrain our access to weapons under the Second Amendment. Clearly, Joe Biden was in the know, as was Eric Holder, as was Barack Obama, as was Governor Malloy, as was the Lieutenant Governor, as was the Newtown School Board, as was the Connecticut State Police, as were all of the phony parents. This whole thing was an elaborate sham. But because it's been promoted aggressively by the Mockingbird media, which the CIA began investing uh, in the, the 1950s, such that by 1975, its then director was able to, William Colby, testify to Congress that the agency owned everyone of any significance in the media, which would be followed in 1977 by Carl Bernstein's article in Rolling Stone, The CIA and the Media, where he explained that high officials of the agency had boasted that their greatest successes had been with Time Live, the New York Times, and CBS. For anyone familiar with the news of the area would recognize that if you had control of Time Live, the New York Times, and CBS, you had a lock on the American news media, which has only become worse with the passage of time. 
where, for example, I recently on various of my programs, video shows, presented panels of 100 executives from CNN, all of whom were dual U.S.-Israeli citizens, 100 executives from NBC, all of whom were dual U.S.-Israeli citizens, 100 executives of the New York Times, all of whom were dual U.S.-Israeli citizens, where the Mossad and the CIA collaborated together to bring us contrived events of 9-11, attempting to blame it on Palestinians, absurdly enough, one of the ways in which the Israelis go a step too far, when in fact everyone knows that their final solution would be to load all the Palestinians aboard a ship, float it out to sea and sink it. It's completely outrageous what's going on here, and frankly, I'm not going to take it any longer. I am standing my ground on this lawsuit, which has a potential to expose the hypocrisy, the shenanigans, the fraud being imposed upon the American people to deprive them of their own best interest to promote the political agenda of a corrupt entity, which is now the Democratic Party. It's a disgrace. Well, Dr. Fetzer, this is bringing us towards hour one. And I can assure you, the people here, myself, Jason, we're going to watch and see what happens here. And we certainly hope that this is drug into a court somewhere and we can see what happens next. As we wrap up hour one of episode 143, for my regular listeners, I will point out Newtown, Connecticut was incorporated in 1711. Count the ways. The last census we have access to was in 2010, where the population was, get this, 27560. 27,560 souls again encoding 9-11. In my view, there is no modern, recent, violent media event that doesn't tie directly back to 9-1 as the police state started to come out of hiding into the general public's open daily eye. All of us could see it all of a sudden. Things were not being hidden anymore. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with this case that has now been filed against Dr. Fetzer. That does bring hour one of episode 143 to a close. We hope to see you all back for the second hour because we can talk about many more things, which we will. There it is, man. Cheers.